Hi guys and welcome or welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Indira and today I'm joined by two of the main people in the running world, Luke Gunn and Kyle Bennett from Birmingham and Loughborough University respectively. In this episode we'll be talking all things training and coaching methods so a lot of key topics covered here and before we get into it if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast and you've been enjoying the show please be sure to leave a review and rate it. It really helps me know what you guys like. Okay and let's get into it. Okay guys, and in terms of if you want to get in touch with Kyle or Luke, both of them are happy to be contacted. I will put down below their contacts in the description, but I'll also say them now. So for Kyle, that is k.k.bennett with a double n and a double t at lborra.ac.uk. And for Luke, that is on Instagram, gunnyluke. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. Kyle, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so as you said, Kyle Bennett, I'm the head of endurance at Loughborough uh, for about 18 months now, um, which has um, been good so far. So really enjoying it. Um, and I also work with England Athletics on the talent programme, uh, specifically the junior talent programme. Yeah, cool stuff there. And Luke, how about yourself? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm the head of athletics at Birmingham and um, have been for eight years um, so I oversee all the programs, but um, I am by trade a an endurance coach, uh, working with athletes from eight hundred right up to to marathon. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, and so for you guys, what does it mean to be a coach in the role of you know developing an athlete? Should we start with Kyle? Yeah, sure. Um, I think education is quite a big one for me, and kind of um, especially as they sort of transition from university through to senior athlete like giving them their autonomy so then that you know coaches aren't always around so they're sort of gone through that education process and development so they understand what it takes to be an athlete so they don't always have to have that coach there um you know almost dictating telling them what to do yeah no definitely and how about yourself luke uh yeah i mean i can't disagree with that i'd probably just add on that you are you know especially at university um you become a bit of a second dad, second parent to some people whilst also trying to encourage autonomy. But I guess the other side of what we do as well is we try and pull people together. Um, so although we coach individuals, we're also trying to grow groups and let people find other people that are very similar to them and wind. And, and sometimes at schools, you, you're probably a little bit more in the minority as a runner. Um, you can get to university and um, find a big group of people there together. But, but yeah, I think the other bit that probably myself and Kyle do is... Um, you also then become part of a um, of a network of other coaches way before you, um, and then even even now, and we're both doing it, mentoring through the the youth coaches um, to bring through the next. So yeah, I think we're we're probably a bit of baton bearers um, from our predecessors, trying to trying to carry on good coaching practices whilst helping everybody else achieve dreams. Yeah. No, that's really great to hear. And in terms of, you know, the various talent programs and your your involvements with that, can you give us a bit of a overview of, of what that involves? Uh, Luke, do you want to start? Yeah, yeah. So I'll kick off. So um, Birmingham was really fortunate to become the first talent hub um, when they launched those about three and a half, four years ago now. Um and there was a bit of a rejig of the pathway. Um, there kind of always had been some sort of pathway, but um, it potentially futures and, and into world-class programs was probably the, the main part of it. And, and England 
recognised that there was a bit of a gap um, in in how they were helping probably the tier beneath that. So um, a junior talent programme was started um, alongside what was already existing in a youth talent programme, which was DICE or ACE that some people might have gone through. Um, and the university is obviously pivotal in that age group from from 18 to, to 21. Um, so, yeah, my, my role was for a few years to, to head up the talent hub at Birmingham. Uh, I stepped away from that uh, in September and passed on that to, to another colleague. Um, but I'm now, you know, more of a coach of people that are on that pathway. Yeah, nice stuff. And Kyle? Yeah, very similar um, to, to Luke's role as well, I suppose. The last couple of years, um, I've kind of led on the junior talent program, as Luke mentioned. That's that kind of eighteen to twenty-three year old. Uh, previously, was on the youth talent program now, which I think is is great that we're starting so young on. Uh, so that's sixteen years of age. So it's great that we're starting athletes young on that kind of program as they go through. Um, and I think one of the key things of all the talent program that kind of Luke mentioned it before is like getting the coaches together as well. I think that gives them um, that network. Um, where they've got coaches that they can reach out to them, whether that's someone like myself and Luke that head in talent programmes or just another coach as part of the programme. Yeah, definitely. And so in terms of, you know, your role as coaches at at the university level, you know, what does it mean in 2023 to be coaching university athletics? Uh, it's, it's really exciting. I'm going to jump in. It's really exciting. Um, both... Both Birmingham and Loughborough have an abundance of of, of athletes, especially on the endurance sides. Um, so it, it's exciting to have such um, enthusiasm, talent, um, drama <laughs> coming in through the days. But um, I think what we've what we've both done. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle. Is we've also created this like group of coaches coaching together um, and a community of that to help that those big big groups that, that we've got and um, I was down at the track this morning and I think there was on the track alone there was some stuff going on on the grass as well but on the track alone there was about 11 different sessions um, and there was three coaches kind of splitting ourselves between it was different start times but um, I never felt lonely as a coach at any point because there was camaraderie there in that as well um, not to mention the fact that you know you're trying to then combine up athletes into the right appropriate sessions I haven't quite settled on what they're doing but it, it's complicated in athletics because then um, the other thing you're not still cast under is a lot of our athletes have come with coaches from their home clubs or still work with the coaches at their home clubs um so there's a ton of communication going on to try and share what that is um to the to the coach to make a decision whether that session's appropriate and then feed it back afterwards and literally this morning one of kyle's athletes who is a birmingham student i was holding the watch for and yeah, so how does that kind of work, you know, when you've got someone who you're sort of working with a home coach for? Is that is it kind of complicated? Do you think it limits the athlete's ability to maximise what the university has to offer? I think, um, um, and Luke's right, like there's something that we do right at the start is work with that athlete and the coach. And that starts from recruiting. So when we start, you know, maybe two, three years out, that communication starts happening. Um and I think then it's looking at what's best for that athlete at that time. So Luke example there uh, with an athlete that I still coach at Birmingham, we, we try and join in as much as we possibly can do. Cause as you say, I think joining that group environment is very, very beneficial. Um, and obviously the the program at Birmingham is great and established. So it's not like they're doing anything that's 
you know, uh, wrong or crazy or anything like that. I think the where we work with the home coaches at Loughborough Moor there is when sort of in that race season. So when if the home coach potentially knows the, an athlete sort of a few a week out or a few days out from a main race that there's something that they might like to do or something they benefit more i think that's where that kind of individualization comes through um but as i know that they do this at birmingham as we do in loughborough we still try and if we can even if we've got like luke mentioned seven eight sessions going on the track we still try and link in groups within that and offer that them sessions out so actually we've got x on their own today but does that benefit any of you lot as well that you could join in and help each other out on yeah, that makes sense. And I guess, you know, everyone is an individual, so has different needs and stuff. Well, it's really interesting you mentioned there the the idea of recruiting. Is that something that's become a lot more important over the last few years? And what does that process look like? Um, I think uh, I've kind of been around university in terms of a coach university setup for maybe 10 years. So uh, I think Luke's obviously been in, um, involved in a job as a university a lot longer. But I think... Um, you're always going to get certain athletes that that's the university they want to go to for whatever reason that might be, whether it's family members went to that university, their mates are going to that university. So you will always get that. But at times, and I suppose put it in a positive way that um, the coaches at Loughborough, the coaches at Birmingham, just to use, you know, the, the two universities that you've got on the call here are doing such a good job. We're most probably making it harder for athletes to actually decide on what university to go to in terms of their athletic um sort of program uh, obviously the academic side comes into that a lot so you know in terms of when you start or athletes reach out to you sometimes we don't offer um you know the um, academic program that they want and then it's actually like i will say well birmingham offer that so why don't you reach out to luke and the team because that would be a great place for you so it's fun recruiting i really enjoy it but at the same time we want athletes to go to where they think they're going to be best placed to develop as as an athlete and just as a person. Yeah. And in terms of that, actually, would you say there are any differences at all between the programmes at Loughborough and Birmingham? Because a lot of athletes do struggle with our oh, Loughborough Birmingham. And and I mean, yeah, I think they are quite subtle. And um, I think that's just echoing on what Kyle said is that not to dismiss other unions, there are other very good unis out there, but there are also some that don't have an athletic programme at all. Um, and that, that's normally my first point of call is like if you're not to throw, not going to name names, but some universities, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're weighing up between Birmingham and, and that one, and there's, there's no club, there's no athletics group whatsoever. You kind of, you kind of going, come on, like, you know, it, you, it's going to be very hard for you to go there and, and continue to do athletics when it's between Birmingham and Loughborough. Obviously, we we will point out subtle differences and, and try and sway here and there. But essentially, they're making a choice between a good and a, and a great place. So it's, um, you can choose which way around that is obviously, but, um, <laughs> but no, I think the sort of, the sort of differences um, uh, are probably changeable as well. So it's not like everywhere's fixed. So um, if you've got an athlete in that is, you know, of a 400, 800 makeup um, and there's another athlete coming in, that's a 400, 800 type runner. Um, there will be a natural group around that quite unique profile of an athlete, but when that athlete graduates or moves on and, you know, there, there could be a switch where it's more relevant to go to the other university um, and, it, and people, that's what Carl's saying is you pick, you pick in places that, you know, have that combination of academic and athletic, but also, you know, social like friends that you've gotten there that, or, and also then 
relevant training partners and inputs and, and everyone's got slight differences on, on how they do things but um but yeah i think we're we, we are similar in in a lot of things of how we go about things yeah anything to add to that kyle no i think honestly i think luke's hit most of it there i think the important thing to remember is if if you've got a good coaching team which both unis do but as luke said there's many universities that do as well then you know, we're very adaptable. So the, there's constantly changes going on within groups and athletes. So it might be that two years ago, an athlete was coming to Loughborough and this is kind of how it looked. Uh, and this is the support they got. It's two years down the road. It might be completely different now as well. And I think if you've got that, say, good coaching team and a good, good support and performance program, then that's only going to benefit the athletes every single year as well as that improves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, make sure you listen, listen to yourself, guys. And so let's move more on to, you know, the female side of things. Now, we see that there's quite a big dropout rate amongst teenage girls in the sport. And, you know, there's also a bit of a kind of reinterest back into the sport, actually, kind of around university, a lot of girls, you maybe dropped out a little bit or put runner on the put running on the back burner, kind of refine their love again. What do you think are some of the reasons for such high dropout rates? You know, how, what are the factors that mean that girls maybe start to enjoy it a bit more at university and any thoughts on what can be done to kind of reduce this? Wow. Well, big question. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, I mean, it's multifaceted. I think boys and girls, um, 16, 17, 18, there are other other things that become available to them in life, whether that's career jobs socializing um so and and then that's not to mention all the other stuff that's demanding their attention so i think lots of things are kind of pulling attention away from from athletics i think you also probably naturally can hit a little bit of a plateau around that period or, or have injuries that kind of you don't see the progress when you're 14 15 where you're in 30 second pbs every other week and everything's fun um so you know there's that as well but i think from the female side you know there are changes that happen to the body and a lot of people do not work out what's going on with their body quickly enough or they're they're worried um about uh, coming on their period during competition you know literally as, as literal as that and and that that paralyzes them from ever wanting to be in front of, of of a crowd um doing that not to mention the body shapes changing and 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 a lot happens which can also just mean that they're maybe more injury prone or performances start to slip um, so there is there's a lot individually going on there, but I also think the more people that drop out of the sport at that age, the more of a minority you come into, um, and you know, and then not around people, especially at school age, that are probably going through the same thing that you are. And I think quite a lot of people that I've heard you speak to already have kind of maybe been quite isolated and not really realised what they're going through is is probably experienced by other people. Um, and that conversation has only really started in the athletics world or in the sporting world relatively recently so um what can we do about it keep talking obviously um there's there's a whole host of more science and more research that has to happen for us to actually know there is still too much we don't know um, about what's going on with the female athlete um and I think that's true whenever somebody says, well, you know, everyone's different. I think that whilst that's true, and that just for me reeks that there still just isn't enough information out there. And, and there's a reason why most athletic studies are done on, on males is because the menstrual cycle has such an effect on performance that it, that it skews data in science. So that is why they've not even done it 
on females, let alone investigating what is going on. So, so yeah, there's all that kind of worms. I won't steal Kyle's thunder too much, but yeah, there is, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that, Kyle? Yeah, I think like one of the key ones, like Luke mentioned that the conversations maybe don't start happening till university. And I think uh, that kind of minority that he sort of mentioned, you know, especially in the big universities, there could be 50 females turning up to training at a session. And all of a sudden, then you kind of get that feeling of like that um, team atmosphere that Luke mentioned earlier. And actually like, oh, hang on, everyone's talking about this here. Everyone's struggled at some point or another. So maybe I, one, can be open about it and the coaches seem open about it. But then two, that then where you were saying about people sometimes picking it back up it becomes less of a kind of a negative environment then because it's, well, actually, it doesn't matter how fast I'm running these reps in training and everyone still seems really friendly, encouraging, and it's a it's a great atmosphere. So I think that helps bring people back into the sport. Um, and just added on, in terms of what we can do about it, I do think it all starts with kind of that education, specifically like coach education as well. Um, because when we have, you know, 10, 11-year-old females turning up to training at a club night, the first person they're going to meet and see and start working with is a coach. So having that coach understand more of this kind of topic um, so they can help them out as they're actually going through all these changes. Um, so there's not there's less to do when they get to 18 and they're at university because, of course, we continue to work on it, but they have a much better understanding of actually what's going on um, much earlier on. Um, so things like they might plateau. The sooner everyone, not just females, but every athlete understands they're not just going to keep running PVs every single year. It's, you know, it's just not going to happen. Then, you know, the more they can stop worrying about that kind of thing and just remember of why they run in the first place and that enjoyment factor and the social side of it as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, with the, the kind of idea of plateauing and stuff, I think it is common that a lot of girls, especially when they do go through puberty, they do kind of plateau or sometimes performance can decrease a bit while they kind of re-adapt to running with perhaps a different body shape what would you say is kind of something that girls in that situation can do to uh, feel the effects of it kind of less or work to kind of adapt to the changes that they're going through great question um, yeah on, i was gonna say great question yeah i think i think the mindset's important at that point um that they're going to have these changes no matter what they are going to happen so not it's easy obviously for for us to say not to worry about it too much and kind of embrace the changes and embrace what's going on depending on what kind of obviously we're talking of a massive spectrum here of kind of changes and years and years of it happening but to me again make if training's fun they're going to buy into it depending on what stage as these changes are happening as well there's definitely things that you can work on so whether just as an example, like females benefit from more strength training at certain times that actually educating them of how but the running might not be going quite as well as we want it to at the moment because it's aerobic, it's endurance. But hey, look at what we're doing in the gym. Look at these strength gains that you're getting. You're hitting PVs in the gym or whatever that might look like as well, I think is um, reframing that can can really help as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, all I was going to say was, yeah, you're just trying to stress all the positives, aren't you? Um, you know, if somebody has to cut a session short or they're they're way off the mark that they normally are because, you know, they're, they're coming on their, their period that day or the next day, you know, it's frustrating for them. And it's also, uh, like I keep forgetting because it's 
I've never experienced it, but it's bloody uncomfortable and horrible as well. But you just the first conversation should always be, this is a good thing. You still have your cycle. This will pay dividends in the future. And, you know, as patronising as that sounds, like sometimes in the moment, that's the thing they first forget. And they're just more frustrated that people are running away from them in a session that they normally can do easily. So just always trying to trying to stress that long-term vision um, yeah. and that changes in body shape are natural. They're good. They will give them a long career um, if they still look like a 13-year-old girl. At 18 19 then they're going to be limited in what they can perform further down the line yeah definitely embracing all the all the beauties of the female body and so kyle there you mentioned that strength training can be particularly kind of beneficial at certain times can you expand a bit more on you know these certain times what they are well i think it's so like luke mentioned then about adapting and changing sessions and i think uh, everyone like going back to that everyone is different but Females will have different responses in their menstrual cycle and period at different times. Sometimes it might be as they're coming on. Sometimes it might be the first few days, et cetera. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on it later, but that's why tracking is obviously important for the athlete and for the coach. Um, so if it if you've worked with an athlete for, for quite a long time and you, are, you understand them more and you know that their first three, four days, the menstrual cycle, you know, they just feel absolutely horrendous. And the last thing they want to do is hit K reps on the track. Then that might be where you can see that's where you plan in kind of more gym work, more strength work. So they're still feeling that positive effects and that training and everything's still going well because you can do that, but you're not putting them in a kind of a, I'm not going to say a negative situation because we know sometimes you have to race at, at every single time. You know, you can't choose when these races are and things. So sometimes you have to do it. But just being, I think, adaptable to that. Um, and I think just generally in terms of like hormone profile, like females will benefit from strength training. And I think that's something to look at, you know, throughout their whole careers. If you look at the the better um sort of uh, female athletes um, you know, that are around now at that top level, strength training is a massive part um, of their overall program, uh, where we're kind of not just focusing on mileage um, and how much they actually run, but we're looking at more of that overall approach to a training programme. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there are still some girls out there who worry about having too much muscle as an endurance runner. What would your response to that concern be? It's, uh, it depends on, on is it if it's their own preference that they don't want to look muscly, then that's completely with them. If they're worried that other people will think that they look too muscly for for a social norm of societal pressure then you know we need to point them towards role models and mentors and and there are plenty of them now out there more so than ever um but yeah obviously everything first and foremost is a choice and a preference um to people um but yeah i think you just it's that part of that education that carl says doesn't it so you're just trying to encourage people to be aware that Everyone has different body shapes. Some people look muscly and they don't actually go in the gym at all um, versus some people that work really hard in the in the gym, but they've got a body type that that makes them look like they've never, they've never seen a dumbbell. So it's not always about the aesthetic. It's about the functionality of, of what you're trying to do. Um, and I, know, I think Ailish McColgan speaks brilliantly on this, for instance. Um, 
just as an example, but just picking up on what Carl said as well about those those opportunities to do weights, I think uh, to do strength training is, is sometimes around that, you know, 15 to 20 year group, there's probably a, a chance where you, they can't maybe run mileage or move it on safely at that time because of any, but, but they might want to at some point in their senior career be hitting a, whatever's determined to be a required amount of volume so at that window why not take the chance to sell them on right let's get you robust for four or five years time when you might then be ready to run let's say 60 70 miles a week safely um, and that's what i mean about then trying to buy them into what that and it's the same with everything not just not just that but like you know if you can't if you're working on biomechanics and get your, you know, working with a physio and getting your prehab sorted on, on how to get your biomechanics stronger so that you don't injure yourself in the future. But there's a, there's a chance to work on your speed in the short term and, and kind of, or, or learn how to swim because <laughs> you've never been taught how to swim before. And that's going to be a really good, like always trying to see these opportunities to kind of um, give some somewhere else. Because often what it is as well, just the, is you're working with passionate a type athlete student athletes that want to excel at everything so it's just channel you can't just say you know well this is all you can do today when they want to do more 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 so it's kind of then trying to channel that kind of for want of a better word perfectionism or passion into something that could be constructive yeah and you know while we're on the topic of kind of strength training and stuff for some of the younger listeners what's kind of a safe age to start you know lifting weights and really upping the strength go on Kyle you're the SNC coach I think um important thing to remember is there's there's no right age any age is absolutely fine but it's just what you're doing so athletes starting off with body weight movements is you know a key is a massive thing so an 11 year old can do body weight movements and do work on their single leg squat with no weight extra body weight whatsoever and that's completely safe and that's only like Luke mentioned about that robustness as they get older, that's only going to help. So I think that's one thing that we see more of now, I think, which is a, a benefit. I remember, you know, way back when I was 11, 12, turning up at the track, you know, it didn't exist. We just didn't do any of it. It was just, we ran, we went home where I think now more club environments are including whether it's circuit training, bodyweight training movements in their actual week plans, which is great to see. Um, and, we, and we've all mentioned it, but it's yeah, it's not being scared to embrace that. Um, yeah. It's only going to help um, help you improve as a runner, um, or especially at these kind of ages we're talking about. If you go into a different sport when you join uni because you fancy a change, it's only going to help you in that sport as well. Yeah, no, that's great. And you know, I guess moving back a little bit in a way. There's also it's quite often, you know, that we see people have a lot of success in their junior years and then this doesn't always translate into the senior years. How much of an indication do you think junior success is in terms of someone's potential to then go on and have senior success? And, you know, do you think that the way the talent programmes are currently structured does best support the talent on offer? I guess some fans say it depends. And dear, so... One thing I'm I'm always a bit conscious of is when somebody is young and doing something really amazing is that sometimes in Britain we jump to the wrong conclusion and go that they must be doing too much and that they are never going to make it to the top. Um, and you've got to know the context. Like I think you can watch somebody race and they could be super aggressive off the front and probably fill a picture in yourself without actually asking the questions of how much running they're doing, you know. 
So the biggest concern, obviously, is if somebody is doing senior training as a junior. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, that that's, that's hard because sometimes you've gotten people in, they're not doing out of malice. You might have a parent that's kind of adopted the role of a coach that's not had the chance to really learn how too much that what's too much um and you know we need to work with those people not just you know kick them into the naughty bin and kind of say well they're, they're being stupid so we need to work with those guys but at the same time there are juniors that are doing appropriate training and doing absolutely crazy things um and that's just super exciting if they can navigate the crazy world that we have um not just training and athletics but everything else and, and like that that the ability to take juniors into seniors is is a real real tough job you know for a coach for a parent like you know there's there's so much that goes into making a, a senior athlete but i don't i genuinely i'm biased i don't think the talent pathways are guilty of moving that bar up um in my opinion i don't think what they get for being on the talent pathway is is enough for it to kind of it's not you're not getting an acad, uh, like a football academy um wage from being on that thing i don't think the incentives are that high you're kind of just giving them some support to help reach their potential but also like the youth talent program it it, it brings in over 200 people every year in our sport so that the bar is not set super super high to get into that support level it's still you know not easy but um but yeah i i think it depends if i'm being honest and you just got to know the context um dina asher smith was doing crazy things at 12 and 13 and is a complete role model healthy athlete that's reached the very very top yeah no and if there was something that you could kind of change in terms of helping more juniors continue their success do you think there's anything in particular that could help facilitate that education you know sorry yeah education um it's knowing how much other people are doing so having a bit of an open book and yeah the chance to hear from others that have got it wrong that have done it right um the chance to educate coaches you know as soon as that comes in you know let's prioritize not maybe what reps and sets people should be doing but like getting down to the stuff that really makes a difference like watching for the red flags of, of somebody that's energy deficient, you know, et cetera, like that. But yeah, sorry, Carl, I'll, I'll let you jump in. No, it's absolutely fine. You, that's That was going to be my only add-on was that I think, yes, if we forget training for a second, because as Luke said, we can have some athletes doing one running session a week and then they're just living life, doing other sports and things like that. But yeah, they're still coming top 10 in races and that that's fantastic. Uh, of course, there is the other side of that as well, but I think that's where that the coach education comes in. And for me, it's if you're looking at potentially passing an athlete on at, say, 18 years old to a university, whether the coach stays involved or not. To me, I, when I go back to my kind of coaching with more youngsters, I wanted them a position at 18 that they still love the sport. They understood more about the kind of lifestyle aspects. So, you know, sleep, nutrition and how they might impact sport in a very low kind of key way. But how they can help rather than kind of them being, oh, I know if I hit 20 mile a week and do these three interval sessions that I will get a performance out of it. That can, you know, that can come way, way later. So I think that's the, when you said about what's the one thing, I think young athletes starting to look at actually how many, you know, how, how you sleep, 
are you getting recovery food and recovery snacks in straight after sessions? You know, there's so many of these we could list off that then that, you know, when they come to university or when they go into work, whatever they decide to do, they kind of already have a little bit of education on that. So it's not starting from scratch day one. They're already doing these kind of things. Well, we can then just work with them on, you know, obviously if they want to take their athletes more seriously, just working on them to improve them. Yeah, no, definitely. So, you know, in terms of training, you know, let's let's move more into the actual training side of things now. What do you think are some of the key ways that training changes for athletes when they come to uni? And what are your what are your thoughts on that? So um, everyone's obviously coming from a different background. So you've got some people that have been used to doing huge volume sessions in their club environment that they've done before. And you've got some that have never had a track accessible to them and they've trained very different ways so what you've what you've got is um you know Birmingham will have a a way of training you know obviously nuances within it but but largely so you're trying to just gradually nudge people to kind of see where they might have the lowest hanging fruit for them to improve so if that's threshold running and they've never done that before then we start a process of educating them on threshold running but the problem is when you come to a university you're an 18 year old and you know you've got all this massive difference as a background and you've got some that you know some olympians training in your groups that are training full-time so it's trying to inspire them to see where they could maybe move on some of their training at the same time as curtailing that enthusiasm um so and 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 often as coaches you know you'll get hundreds of people coming in in that first half september so even with all the will in the world, you you won't get round to every single person to have this kind of one-to-one conversation straight away. So you're trying to just gently get them to to calm calm it down and work out what we can what we can work after. Because you can probably only change one thing at a time. Um, yeah. You can't just go to a completely different group normally. Um, so yeah, it, it's trying to get that balance between obviously people are exuberant and they've gone to uni and they want to move their running on. And you're trying to avoid them from making some obvious mistakes. Sometimes making a mistake is the best way to learn, um, but trying to avoid some of those obvious kind of mistakes. So it's 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 hard. Um, and I say like what why why we work with personal coaches um, avidly is because it will take us time as coaches at the university to get to know that person, um, yeah. probably a year or two. Those personal coaches know them already, and they will know their stresses. They will know their signs earlier than we will. So I think it's really important that the athletes stay in touch with their coaches when they if they if that's what's been agreed, and give them feedback because then they can probably just nudge them and go, sounds like you're you know, really tired already. Maybe we need to back off for a week, and I might miss that if I'm being honest in the first few instances until we get to know them a bit better. Being honest, you know, me and Kyle we've seen it time and time again. So if we don't, you know, sometimes we don't miss it and you can, you can see, you can tell it, even though you don't know the person because you get used to it. But, but yeah, that, that's the biggest difference is trying to work out what they can move on without taking huge risks. Yeah, definitely. And in terms, you know, you mentioned there's some of the biggest mistakes. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see athletes in particular, your female athletes making? Kyle, do you want to start off? Yeah, sure. I think when they, um, the first thing to remember is, They've just moved home when they've moved, you know, university. And this is all athletes, but they've just moved home, new environment. There's a lot going on. Um, there's definitely some social pressure in them first couple of weeks, as well as a university um, that they, you know, need to be a part of 
they need to make you know friends social groups so that's the first thing i think to remember on all of that is that's quite a lot of stress on the body anyway so like luke's point of almost when when you start you work with that home coach you know kind of what their training looks like it's almost let's just chill out for that first month see how things go set it into uni and go from there i think it's on the female side specifically i think it's well, I suppose it's not even female specific side. It is all athletes. It's just very hard to see, like Luke mentioned, see these athletes that might be 25, 26 years old that are on the track doing these great sessions. Then they're talking to them and finding out what they do, which is fantastic because that's important that they have that kind of mentoring going on and they're able to do that. But without then jumping to everything and going, right, I'm going to do that and jumping straight into that. So the more I think relaxed and chilled out everyone can be. And I think that starts from that process that we mentioned before of working with the athlete and the home coach, maybe six months before. So this week I've had two conversations with home coach and an athlete that are coming to Loughborough and we're already building that relationship. And I've like Luke's point, I've already said to them, but um, is are you staying involved with the athlete? And it's a hundred percent. Yes. And it's like brilliant because then they can communicate with you when they first get in find out what's going on, um, any issues that could arise from that, but then you've got that extra support there already. Um, and I think that's that's quite a key one. Yeah. For me with the girls, and this is a little sexist because um, forgive me on this, but I would say that the girls are probably more guilty of trying to excel in everything. So they're probably doing more training than they've ever done before. They're still socialising, although maybe not to the extent some of the lads but they're also non-compromising on their work and on cross-training and then delivery. I think sometimes guys might even get away with it a bit more because when they overdo one side, they tend to either miss training or get behind on their work and the energy <laughs> the is not as high. But I think I've seen that with girls at, at Birmingham too often that they're, you know, they're the ones who are diligently going to the, seeing them on the cross-trainer, seeing them do their bike session as well, even though I know that they've probably just, you know, uh, so I think it's a it's a trifecta. So you're doing slightly more training, slightly less sleep, and then you're unconsciously aware of the other demands. So like Carl said, just the stress of moving to a place obviously puts your energy expenditure up. People don't realise walking around a campus, like there's, they're probably doing way more steps than they would ever normally do at home around a school. Um, so even though they believe they might be eating the same that they, they were before or meeting the same sort of that the energy expenditure has gone up without them realizing it. there's lots of hidden kind of um, expenditure that they're not sure. Like I, I tell this story. Um, I had a girl many years ago and she, she, she got a sac sacral stress fracture and we we're really trying to unpick it of, of where it come from. She had a history in the past and um, the health app on the phone had just kind of come in and we were kind of looking at her steps and where she'd done it. And I really, I embarrassed her, but I didn't mean to, but we looked back at two nights uh, before like the pain came on and, and she had gone out on a night out but she'd done the equivalent of a four mile run in steps between 12 and three I mean she must be dancing pretty damn well but like <laughs> it was a real awakening to go wow like you've basically put another run in there when we we're already really trying to manage what you were doing with your running and 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 also missed another meal because you stay up a bit later so you've probably only done three meals when actually you probably do need that that fourth meal on the way up. So there are there are a lot of 
Um, and, and unfortunately, most people learn this lesson the hard way. Um, and then they look back and when it all calms down a bit and they, they know where they are a little bit more, they can handle it. But the first year of uni is dangerous because there is a, there is all that I've just mentioned. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, things like Red S are a huge issue in the sport. I mean, there's a lot to unpack, but what would you say perhaps is something or some similarities you see between or amongst athletes who manage to stay free or more free of issues such as Red S or struggling with, you know, bad body image or burnout? Are there any like maybe mindset factors that, that are the same? Yeah, I think mindset is a real key one. Um, I think in all the years I've been coaching, there's, like we said, every athlete's an individual, every athlete's different, and and what kind of the mindset they have is also going to be different. But the the athletes for me that don't worry so much about what other people are doing in terms of athletes, worry about, and it's hard, I'm not saying any of these things that they're easy uh, and they should just happen, they are hard, but worrying about what other people are doing, um, worrying about what other people might say. Um, and we know some of the um, great work that's just come out, like the um, female health report that obviously Luke's coaches, a few of the athletes like Kate, et cetera, that have, have done that report. You know, some of the things about what coaches uh, or parents might say to athletes as well that can almost kickstart that process along the road. And it's very easy for me to say, ignore that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but so I think that, that how you interpret that in terms of what we call that mindset is key. And then I think the the other massive one for me, just in terms of a mindset one, is having that openness with your coach that you can just have that conversation of, look, because let's be honest, I think me and Luke have heard absolutely everything. You know, I don't think there's much now that an athlete could say to me that would, shock me or surprise me um and having that openness to sit um and i have all these these conversations all the time i'm sure luke does as well that where they can just be open and say i oh, look someone may have said this or i've seen this and i had this thought and i started maybe thinking i should do this this and this that's just the easiest way that you can start that off and start to work on that because the the coach is never going to go back to that comment and be like oh shut up ignore it don't worry about it crack on go for your six mile run now you're going to open that conversation up and you're going to go through things of why they feel that way um and then what comes from that is luckily at Birmingham and Loughborough is the support team that comes with that so the nutritionist the sports psych etc um but obviously we've got the specialist there that can then deal with that if it does go down the kind of um that sort of path as well yeah don't know if you want to jump in Luke on any of that no, I agree. I think people who are comfortable in their own skin generally tend to navigate that a bit better. And, and I think I say that respectfully because you can see those people that are potentially trying to find where their status is in, in a group. And that can sometimes lead it to that. But yeah, and, and also the obvious, like people that are potentially that aren't trying to push for more mileage or more volume um, tend to navigate it better. Like, you know, you don't want to discourage in a way people that are really keen to work hard, but at the same time, it's an amber flag straight away when somebody's trying to add on an extra rep that you said, or, or you know, you, you see them sneaking off a, a bike, which wasn't really set when you met with them a week before. And, you know, it's just that like uncomfortableness and where they're at and they're, that, that this desperation to want to do something, not have a position of malice or anything like that. They're just 
they just want to be doing as much as they can. They want to be the best and they're, they're in a bit of a rush for want of a better word. You don't call them impatient, but that's what it is. Um, so a bit of that. Um, I think the other thing, uh, just when Carl said something there popped into my head was, um, was that openness. Um, I think it's healthy to say that some, like somebody said something that, you know, how I, I think is wrong. So even, even if that is a parent or even if that is a coach, but it's, it's as a coach like that hears that it's it's sometimes just trying to work out what needs to be acted upon and what just needs to be listened to um because if you react to everything that's said like that and then you suddenly have to go you know on the phone with a parent to say you said this one thing and it's out of context you know that can exasperate the problem but as Carl said it's good that they're saying it rather than that building up into being a much bigger thing inside them without without verbalizing it. But but yeah, I, th I think it is. I would just say for anyone that's listening, it's hard. It's hard being that age. It was hard when I was that age. It's harder now because there is so much more comparison with social media, and we all know what everybody's doing in training. I didn't have a clue what people were doing when I was 18, 19. So, you, you know, if I was young and I saw what Inga Brixen was doing, I'd be guilty of trying to do exactly what he's doing right now. So. I'm a hypocrite because we just didn't know that right now, but the, the, the data and the information out there is overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. And communication is definitely so important. And touching a bit further on communication in terms of say an athlete who wants to have a conversation like this with their coach, you know, what's a way that they can approach the conversation and for coaches or, or parents, what's kind of a good way that they can make sure that they're having those conversations with their athletes or, or, or children potentially. So one thing at Loughborough we do is make sure that um, everyone has kind of a lead coach um, so that they know that that's their kind of, say, first point of call if they've got any questions on anything. Um, hopefully the relationship's built, built, been built up a little bit beforehand with coach, parents and athlete. But as Luke said, when you have, uh, we at Loughborough we have a meet the coaches evening and I think we had like 105 athletes turn up to that. There's no way you're going to, say, have these conversations beforehand. You need to build on them as you go in. Um, but I think once you then start working with an athlete, knowing what their preference of communication is to start with. So if that's a, oh, I really like to discuss things, always face face to face, then you kind of know you need to catch up with that person every so often. Most of the time now, it's going to be a WhatsApp, a voice note, something like that. And then when it comes to a difficult conversation where we make a, and again, it's it's easy to say, but not every athlete will take it. But day one, we make it very clear that you can come to the coach with absolutely anything. There's no stupid question. There's no embarrassing thing you could say. Um, and also, I know Birmingham do this as well, but we we create that kind of team environment that we're talking about this sort of stuff at training anyway. So when we talk about menstrual cycles, if you just dropped into a session, you'd hear at least one female just be like oh kyle i'm on my menstrual cycle today it's just come on remember i feel crap when it comes on so can we adjust training that it becomes a little bit more easier just to have them conversations but then also what i found over the last few years is if an athlete is really struggling and they don't want to speak to a coach or in one of luke's position a male coach then go into that athlete so i go into that older female athlete and just saying oh look uh, this is happening at the moment with me, whatever that might be. What do you think about that? And they can have that kind of conversation first to put everything at ease. And then they can either have that athlete come forward or they come forward and have them conversations. Um, 
and my number one advice on them communication is it, it's almost like a weight on your shoulders if you are going through a difficult time as soon as you say something to anyone it's almost like it's lifted off and you will just feel better and even though like Lou said nothing's actually been actioned yet but you will just feel better within yourself anyway yeah definitely anything anything to add there Luke or Good answer, Carl. I'd just say the only thing for me is I think a coach can often be very overwhelmed. Say you're at a session and you've got 100 people running around and somebody brings or asks for time. I think as a coach, be aware of where what state you're at right then in that moment. And if it is appropriate, that you can step to the side and, and listen to that person right there and then. Brilliant. If you can't, protect that time. Go, look, I'm really sorry. I've got thousand things I really want to hear from you and then book something in when you're in a better place that you can hear that in the right way I think we're not sorry we wrote we coaches are not robots like we are also prone to be in emotion and sometimes you'll get the most important thing out of the, the whole day that as a message sent to you at 8 p.m when you've been on for 12 hours and you you're trying to get home you're soaking wet so I just think like being aware of where you're at to then make sure that that's received in the right way never not react on something like I've, I've always seen things at training and like, God, I'm not going to prod right now because of, you know, the situation. And it could just be that a day or two late, or even that, that next morning you drop a message to them or you, you speak to somebody else that you think might be more appropriate just to kind of go. The, uh, but the other thing for me as well is if you're not sure as a coach, how to handle that scenario, go and speak to somebody, go and ask another coach, go speak to and sound it out yourself before you then put your foot in it. Um, if you're certain about what you need to do and, and like how to do it, then then do it. But if you're not, seek counsel. You know, the problem's not going to blow in, blow up in, in a week. You know, you, you, sometimes people, we're, we're like in emergency mode, like, you know, like there's not going to be a fatal accident happen straight away. You know, that you know, often you've got time. So, you know, ponder on it, speak to other people. Me and Kyle have been known to pick up the phone to each other, even as arch rivals and ask, you know, ask each other's counsel. <laughs> so yeah no I, I think because so, sometimes the, the coach you know the, the coach is a big burden and and when I first started coaching I felt very isolated I went from having a, a teammates around me to then being the one coach with a stopwatch and like that's a, that's a big burden to bear for the whole for the whole group so build your mentors around you as well yeah no yeah definitely some really key stuff there and you know the menstrual cycle kind of keeps popping up so you know there's not a lot of research on its effects yet but in terms of what you guys have seen and observed, are there any kind of key maybe patterns or trends that you've seen in terms of how the menstrual cycle can impact on performance and maybe some of the adaptations specifically that can be made to accommodate for that? Yeah, I'll kick off. Um, so genuinely, everyone's different. And I've now coached probably 50, 60 females Um not all with regular cycles for one. So that's, that's one thing to say, but, but everyone is different and it affects everyone slightly differently. Some feel absolutely awful two days before some feel fine on the day. You know, say, like Carl said, some it's the aftermath afterwards, some, you know, emotionally not much difference, but they just get gut pain. So it does affect everyone. And I think that's why it's worth speaking amongst your friends and just seeing how many people get different. One pattern I do see is um, is that people do change at that time of the month. And that, that for me was the, the one thing for me to spot is like, hang on a minute, this conversation, if I'd had this 
last week, it would have been a really easy flow in. They would have been able to respond back to me. They're not responding in the normal way that I would normally know for that person. And that, that can be different. Like sometimes that can be closing down, shutting off. Sometimes it can be, you know, being a bit more volatile towards me. But that for me is the, the, the one kind of thing that you do. Okay, right. Are they being really ratty with me? <laughs> or is there something else that I've missed it? Um, so that would be one thing. The other thing I just want is, is, is contraception. Um, I think that's the other side of this as well, that, um, it, yeah, the, the way certain contraception affects certain people, um, I think there are some trends that there is not enough research being shared on that. So progesterone only contraception seems to be really successful in the first kind of six months a year and it really helps. But then, then the bodies go haywire after that and they can start having periods every two weeks and that for me was something as a, an epiphany that I just spotted within two or three, no, three females I had in the group that I then started asking. And they, when they start talking, they were on the same one. So th there are kind of those kind of new things as well. And as well, something like the coil, which obviously kind of, you don't know if you're having a natural cycle or not. That is for me, there's a, there's a commonality and that's especially as you get to the third or the fourth year of that. And that that probably has started to decay and that you're, your performances are then affected more so than they were three years ago. So there are some commonalities, um, absolutely. But uh, the one thing I was just going to say just before Carl jumps in is I, I encourage every female just to keep a journal on it. You have 12 opportunities every year, hopefully, to learn a little bit more about how you respond at certain times of your cycle, um, whether that's to certain foods, sessions, you know, whether it is regular, whether it's not, you know, but I, I just don't hear enough people. I know there's the Fit A Woman app that some people use, but people just don't write stuff down and, and use the opportunity to learn themselves. Yeah, 12 opportunities. That's a, that's a nice way of looking at it. Hi, Kyle. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, there's honestly, there's not much more I can add to what Luke said then. Something you mentioned about, like, again, the sort of communication side and that. It's something I've actually, there's a, some of the athletes will listen to this and they might be able to figure out that it's them. But I've had to have some difficult conversations over the last few months with certain athletes and something I've actually been paying attention to is when we're having them. So I've deliberately had them at different times and yeah, the responses sometimes I get is very different. So that's something that even as a, like as, as per coaches to pay attention to, because Luke's a hundred percent right on that as well. If, if you need to have a hard conversation with something uh, with an athlete at a certain time, then it is important to, to pay attention to that as well. Um, and I think we mentioned before about like coach education, but we all know this and I'm sure every female listening to this would have had a, uh, maybe not the best experience with their GP. Um, and I think GP education is obviously a massive thing as well. Um, and there's, there's people are trying to help in that domain at the moment. There's obviously not too much as someone like me and Luke as coaches can really do on this point at the moment. But I think, um, it, the it, everything could be a lot sort of an easier process with like everything that Luke mentioned then if GPs was kind of better educated on one the female body but then sport athletes as well um and but that's something that I think obviously is, is being worked on I think that might obviously is going to take a long time for that to happen as well 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. So really seeing that potentially the effects of the menstrual cycle extend a lot beyond the physical and definitely into the mental as well and impacting on performance that way. Okay, hi guys, quick extra point from me. Obviously conversations flow and it's not always possible to get all the points in. But Kyle would like to emphasise that if you are having irregular periods, it's really important that you don't train fasted in the mornings. So make sure you're having breakfast or something to eat before sessions and this applies to easy runs as well. So just make sure that you are fueling properly before all runs if you are having irregular periods. And yeah, super important point, guys. So back to the episode now. And so in terms of, you know, training as well, these days there's a lot more access to, you know, those 1%, the data, you know, VO2 max testing, lactate testing, the nutrition, all of that side of things. How much do you guys rely on that in training or how much do you think that that can play an important role and useful role in training there's there's definitely a place for it but it's basics first so often people try and jump to the sexy stuff that we call it like but you know as a coach you're still there is still no as far as i know no tool no app out there that tells you what order to do things in that is still largely the art of of coaching and and kind of working out like yeah you're talking about your, your numbers over here etc etc yeah I haven't seen you do you can't even touch your knees let alone your toes and that's going to be a really bad that's going to be really risky in the future if you're going to try and be a steeplechaser etc you know you're trying to work out there are, as a coach you can you can look at athletes and you can come up with probably 40 50 things that that might need to improve at some point the art is then working out which one's the most important right now um and often the data is there to kind of support or challenge something that the coach is seeing. So if you're, if you're kind of instinctively thinking that they're running their, their thresholds too fast uh, and that that might be contributing to their kind of poor performance on the day, lab test it, see if that's accurate. It sometimes isn't. I got that wrong once with one of my athletes and they actually had to go faster. I just got the, but most of the time, it, it, it's true and then then you've got actual data to then support what messaging you're trying to to enforce with that athlete rather than just going slow down slow down you can say remember we did that lab test and you were told to that your threshold is actually 545s not 525s you know and it just gives you that nice in, instinct into it there is so much data out there the, the hardest thing actually is working out how to analyze it um a lot of the time i'm guilty of that you know, not enough hours in a day for me to go through my training peaks and work out exactly what everyone's tra- training stress scores are. So you've got to rely on what you can see and hear in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. We obviously we run lab tests here and things, but I think Luke's nailed it then. It's it's how you use that. Um, sometimes it can just be a monitoring tool and a check of where everything is. Um, other times it's good just to see how athletes respond. So you may have done a three month block of training and you kind of know you prioritize training in this area, threshold trainers, an example, do a test. You can actually just see how, how that's actually affected that. Because as we keep saying, everyone is different. doesn't matter what event you do, how you respond to training will be different. I think some of the other, if you say they're one percenters that we use is um, now, since I've been here, we've implemented like blood tests. So uh, everyone will get two blood tests a year for ferritin and bit D. Um, and then if anything comes up, from them, we may then go and get a full blood test. Um, but that's that, again, kind of for me, like Lou said, there's, there's so much data out there, but knowing someone's ferritin and bit D scores is really important um, for me. And when 
Um, we've always had things to work on as a group whenever we've done them blood tests as well. So again, you can sometimes you can see things uh, like an athlete's looking a little bit tired and something like that. But then actually having that data, as we're saying, is is going to be massive and really beneficial there. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, what's the importance of kind of ferritin and vitamin D? Uh, so ferritin in a nutshell look at it as more of kind of your energy stores so with like iron and how how that's stored so if your ferritin is very low you might just have you're going to feel t- more bit more tired potentially have less en- uh, less energy available um and that's you know normally that's going to come from then nutrition and that's something that then again then conversations could come up so you're typically always going to well might speak to athletes that they're on an iron pill of some sort and they're being supplemented which is fine some athletes need to but i think the important thing for me is that if anyone goes out now and gets a blood test and has a low ferritin score of speak to a nutritionist a dietitian and actually try and change it in your diet first uh over you know just supplementing and not not making any changes uh and vit d we kind of use it as one for potential um, injury and bone injury. Um, it's not the only marker again. So that's where like full blood work could come in. Um, and especially during the winter because it mainly comes from the sun. So um, looking at how we can uh, keep vitamin D up through the winter when obviously as today's weather, depending on where you are or when you're listening to this, but been, me and Luke have been out coaching in the rain all morning. Uh, it's the sun's not out. So using that in the winter time before we go warm weather training to, Portugal in the 25 degree heat uh, can definitely help yeah and what do you think makes you know a successful athlete or allows an athlete to achieve their potential in terms of how they approach training doing the right thing at the right time and making the right decisions at the right time Um, sometimes you can make a 99 good decisions and then one bad one undoes it so you can't you know you can't earn credit on it so um but yeah I mean that that's that's the that's the golden nugget isn't it trying to work that out so um, again like sometimes an athlete can be doing a training that they've done before which gave them brilliant success but right now it's not the stimulus that they need and and it it doesn't work that way so there's that kind of it's always trying to work out what does the athlete need right now Um, and often it is less not more um, and that's probably the biggest way of putting it to people. Um, I think uh, a physiologist that was speaking to a group before they went out to altitude and he he said, uh, this is Andy Shaw from British Athletics, that he'd never told anybody on an altitude camp that they needed to train harder ever. Yeah. So, so yeah, that is that that's what I mean about the right decisions as coaches as well. You know, we, we put our hands up. We're not we're not guilt free of this. Sometimes you make the wrong call. You you push one more session in there that wasn't needed or, you know, they, you put on the spot and you, you make a 50, 50 call that, that wasn't the right one as well. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, that's all gets chalked up to experience. And that's why you know, the old coaches like Bud Baldaro coached me was such a genius because he'd probably made all the mistakes and, you know, all those experience get added. The problem is as an athlete, you only have one career. So that's, that's where I think, we coaches have that responsibility and that's where I always encourage even very capable athletes that go into self-coaching. I did it. I self-coached myself, but you're probably going to make all the mistakes that a coach could probably save you. Um, if you, yeah, if you ask the right people. Yeah. So doing a lot of, doing a lot of things right at the right times. So the message there, and in terms of, you know, females again, is there anything specific in terms of actual training and 
training techniques that maybe might be especially beneficial for female runners over male runners? I think I know Luke has a little bit more, um, maybe a stronger view on this. Potentially, we'll find out, I suppose, after I finish now. But I think for me, the strength training, I know we touched it before, so I won't go over it too much again. But I think for me, the strength training, obviously males have more testosterone in the body. Um, say naturally kind of have a little bit more strength I'm not saying it's not important it definitely still is important for the male but for me females that strength training and not dropping that strength training through race periods as well because sometimes it can actually benefit if you continue that strength training all the way through that sort of um, race period as well I think is quite important um, I don't um, without going into like individual athletes I wouldn't say I have too many differences on that kind of female versus male in terms of a training program that will come a bit more individual um i don't know luke you've got any views on that no i, th- I think there's a bit of science a bit of research on this that you know it's a bit even from from strength but it can relate into some sessions as well as that the females can sometimes maybe not do as much like pure um power but they can do more volume of it so a 1500 meter type session, a lad might only be able to hold about three, three and a half K of volume at his 1500 meter time. A female can sometimes do four to four and a half K, which has its pros and its massive negatives because it means that they can overdo it in training because of the, the way their bodies can train. So I, I would say that guys, you know, so you see this in the States a lot, some of the guys can often do, you know, kind of big chunks or they'll just do big single days in how they train. I think females probably just need to spread out the training a little bit more in the week um, than guys can. And that's just a, a little rule of thumb that completely changes on the athlete you're speaking to. But um, I've seen tons of very, very good females, you know, do 50% of their training as cross training, you know, to, to navigate that, that ability to work. They just seem to be able to work harder and put themselves in a bit of a bigger hole over a week or two than, than a guy can that just kind of tops out. But, but yeah, that, that's just, there is no science to prove that in the running, but there is a little bit that says, I can't might correct me that, you know, if you can do three by 10 as a, as a guy in your squat, there's a good chance the girls can either do four sets of that or, or three by 12, you know, so there's just being aware of that, you know, when you, when you're a coach setting paces and, and reps, you can probably, there's a risk of, of the girl that doing it in a session. Yeah, I think, and that's the key point there to finish on, isn't there? That that challenge of, you know, I guess just because they can do more, should they at that time, like you say, and that's that challenge as, as we have as coaches and from, say, an 18-year-old through to maybe suddenly that's changing when we've got a 24, 25-year-old and suddenly the Olympics is their aim and they've had 15 years of training experience and that's where their views can, can definitely change. But that's, like Luke says, that's that experience that you gain as a coach with every athlete you work with yeah yeah no that's a really interesting point and definitely I I think a lot of girls are leaning more to doing well not a lot of girls but there are quite a few girls who do do quite a lot of cross training in their in their training these days okay so we're coming to the end of the time now so a few wrap-up questions to finish off with what if you could change one thing about the sport what would it be Luke education I, I would right from the very start um, from coaches to the media, like commentators and just kind of, you know, I think we've, we're doing better at it now, but I think if there was a, if there was a way to just have a blanket, as soon as you went into the sport, there was these set modules you had to do as knowledge. 
I think we'd be so much better off. Yeah. Kyle, biggest piece of advice to injured or plateauing athletes? I think not continuing on Luke's point then. So I think I would go with, um, well, coaches and athletes sharing practice. So I think sometimes as coaches, we're almost just like athletes as well, almost scared to say, we're not sure, I don't know. So I think having that uh, mentor that you can reach out to, athletes having a mentor that could be another athlete, um, I think is is a key one for that. Um, if you're, especially if you're plateauing and you're repeating the same training over and over again and you're not sure where to go, we know the body loves a new stimulus, a new bit of stress, whatever that might be. So reaching out to a new coach or a mentor can can definitely help with that. Yeah. And Luke, what's the biggest mistake you see athletes making? Impatience. People just trying, you know, they're motivated, they've set a goal and they're now going after it and um, they've seen what it's taken others to do that. So, yeah, um, it's, it's hard as an 18-year-old to, to see that patience and longer term. So, yeah. Yeah. And Kyle, what would be the, if you could, your perfect training programme, an overview of it, what would it be? Uh, we'd have to give the coach answer if there's no such thing. <laughs> um, I think, um, without giving specific, I think progression is a key one. Progressioning through the season or year on year um, is a big one, no matter what that training programme looks like. If if there's no progression built in somewhere, then it's it, you're not going to improve um, and then you will plateau at some point. Um, and I think the other thing for me is belief. I think if you are on a following a training program with a coach and you believe in it a hundred percent, even if it's not the best, you're most probably going to get some benefit from it. Um, if you don't believe in it at all, even if it is the 100% best training program in the world, but you don't believe in it and you question every step you take, you're most probably not going to, uh, progress and get the, the benefit from that training yeah and final question now Luke what piece of advice would you give or something that you think would be useful for anyone considering coming to Birmingham uh for running um to know do your homework speak to people don't just speak to me um reach out to athletes that have already here that have gone already um if you're a coach speak to coaches that have had athletes come come to Birmingham and that that's true of wherever uni you go to you know speak to people you know one person's opinion it is it is always valid but get canvas and get a lot of information from different people just to see if it if it sounds like it's the right place for you yeah and Kyle for for Loughborough uh, I think just to add on and then I think come visit do an open day do a training day I know both Loughborough and Birmingham have kind of the academic open days but then they also have the specific athletic days so come because I think um if you especially if you're deciding between Birmingham and Loughborough or any of the other big unis, you might get that feel from day one of when you come into that environment and you see the university and it that might make your decision right there and then. Yeah. Well it's been great having you both on. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your views on such important topics. No worries. Keep up the good work. Well done. Thank you. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did be sure to rate, subscribe and leave a review. This really helps to get the content out there. I'm new to this guys and I want to make this podcast the best possible for you. So go follow Fitter Faster Happier on Instagram. That's Fitter Faster Happier to leave your questions, comments and feedback and for updates and guest requests. All the best for the week ahead guys. 
Run happy, live happy, be happy.